Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Joshua 6, starting in verse 12. You guys can follow along on the screen. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before (laughs) the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, and at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, We're skipping that other video this morning, too. Um, We had a lot of, we had a hectic morning, right? But... (laughs) Yeah, we had, we had some issues this morning um, in, a, in a few different ways, uh, but I love, uh, we probably have one of these every six months, every quarter, three times a year, <laughs> something like that, where there's a big trailer issue, things are pushed back, we're scrambling, all those things, and I told our team this morning, guys, we, we're here to worship Jesus, whatever we have, we are the church. I told our girls on the way down this morning, we were talking about it, and they're like, "What's going on, Daddy?" And I was like, "I was like, hey guys, we are the church. So wherever we are, we can worship Jesus, and we're going to meet a bunch of people who want to do that same thing this morning, no matter what it looks like. And so we're going to sing, we're going to go to the scriptures. Um, and, but because we're starting later, the sermon I had prepped this morning, I'm like in my mind right now, I'm moving pieces around and I'm cutting pieces off." So try to track with me this morning. We'll see if I can track with me this morning. <laughs> and, and, and we'll go from there. Uh, but guys, like, like Missy said, we're finishing out Joshua today, our Breaking Ground series. And uh, this whole series was about vision and what God wants to do in our church and through our church in our city. And, and we started off by releasing a vision. So Josh, if you can put that vision up there, I'm just going to talk about this for a second so we're all on the same page. Uh, this is... This is the, the new vision of our church, and, and it's empower 5,600 people to discover identity and destiny in Christ. Now, uh, again, I won't go into all of what this means and what the numbers mean and all that. If you want to hear all that, you can go back and, and listen to the first sermon in this series, but the numbers are significant. They're there for a reason. Uh, but empower 5,600 people to discover identity and destiny in Christ. Now, that should sound familiar because that's also our mission statement to, dis- to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ. And that ordering is essential 
Right? You need to discover your identity in Christ first before you can live out your destiny in Christ. Okay? And once you do that, you can influence. And guys, I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again, just in case you haven't heard it or, or you still need to believe it. Um, your identity in Christ is the same as my identity in Christ. Okay? There, we all have the same identity in Christ. Your destiny in Christ is the same as my destiny in Christ. We all have the same destiny in Christ. How, the question that a lot of us are asking, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with school, with, with work, with this, that? That's the influence part, okay? And we'll get, we'll get to that, but that's influencing. That's your personality, your gifts, your passions, all that. But, but we're just starting with identity and destiny. Most of us jump to influence, and you don't even have your identity in Christ founded yet. You don't, you're not even operating in your destiny in Christ. You're trying to go to influence, and you're doing it the wrong way, and you're wondering, why isn't this working? Why do I feel like I'm driving a stick shift and I keep on sputtering out? Well, that's because your identity isn't firm in Christ. You're not built on the rock, as, as Jesus says in Matthew uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you got to build your house on the rock first if you don't want the wind and the waves to tear it down. Right? And you're trying to influence first, and you're not built on the rock. So identity and destiny are key. They're vital if we're going to live out this vision. And that number of 5,600 people, we don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I'm not saying it's a 5,600 people gathering. Guys, the reality is, uh, I was talking to someone this week, and, and I was mentioning how somebody was connected to somebody else. And I think I went through like five or six degrees of separation. And those five or six degrees were people who were at our church, who helped build our church at a time, and moved away. They're not at our church anymore. Because um, they just moved. That's our city. It's, it's transient. Uh, so I'm, I'm not saying that this is a, a 5,600-person gathering. Like, if you add up all the people that we've, we've actually come across and put kingdom DNA into, we're, we're probably around 1,500, I mean, already. Now, so I don't know how to count that number, but, but that's there. But we can count the next two, 560 partners to influence our city. That's something we do already. Guys, this isn't, this isn't brand new. Like, this vision isn't, like, it's not like it's brand new and we weren't doing all this stuff before. We've been doing all this stuff. So 560 partners influence our city. That's how we work in our city. That's unique to our church, guys. The way we partner with organizations, the way we, we operate in the city, how we use the new common space, our space in St. Jamestown, that's unique to us. That's why this is a unique vision for our church. Like, there's no other city, there's no other church in the city doing what we're doing. That's why God has called us here to do that, okay? And, and we're doing that in St. Jamestown through the New Common. And there's, there's churches who just want to be commonly faithful, and we need those churches. Churches who just want to do uh, worship services and um, some small group stuff, and maybe, maybe um, I don't know, maybe they serve in the soup kitchen or something every once in a while, I've been, to parts, I've been a part of some of those churches, and we need those churches. That's not this church. So if you're a part of this church, we have a very specific vision that God's given us, and that's this. We're going to operate in St. Jamestown through the New Common. We're going to engage our city. We're going to work with our city, and we're going to see change happen through organizations where we can infuse the gospel and share the love, love of Jesus with those organizations. We're not out to create our own thing. We're out to empower our community in our city to do what they're already doing 
and bring the love of Christ in those arenas along the way, okay? That's, that, that's very unique to our DNA as it works out, which we'll talk about our DNA in the next few months, um, Kingdom Disciples Society Church. And, and we're probably at, I don't know, 35 to 40 partners right now. And when I say partners, I don't mean just people we give money to. I mean, I mean their people mixed with our people and gospel stuff happened, okay? That's who we consider a partner. And then we want to empower 56 church plants to influence our world, and that is by giving them our DNA and what we do. And so we've done that with uh, four churches already. We're doing that now with three more that we'll start doing it with next year. Um, so that brings us to like six or seven, right? Um, depending on how that works out next year. Uh, so those are churches that are specifically, they've said, we don't want to be commonly faithful in our cities anymore. We want to do, do what you're doing. We want to learn from you. And they've come to learn from Trinity Life to do what we do in their cities. Okay? So that's happening all over the world. I'm going to see one of those plants in London in a few days. Um, there's, there's one in Philly that I'll be with next week, uh, this, this upcoming week, that does what we do. Um, that has been a partner for us. Uh, so we want to be partners for other people in doing this. So that's, that's our vision. And guys, this whole book, uh, coming up through Joshua chapter 6, we've been, we, Joshua has been trying to figure out what's the vision for the people of Israel as we go into this land in this season right now. And, and Joshua now is at the brink of walking forward in his destiny. Uh, anyone read The Alchemist in here? Oh, man. Raise your hands high. Be proud, Wendy. Come on, girl. Yeah. Adam, Daniel, Sass should have read it because I've given him a copy. Uh, you better raise your hand next time I ask about it. So <laughs> I highlighted a quote in there for you specifically. You read that? Okay. At least you did that. Hey, when you read that, I'll read your thesis. Oh, where's Chandler? Let me get some snaps. Let me get some snaps, Chandler. Let's go. <laughs> so, no, I'm going to read your thesis next week, actually. It's on my schedule. Um, but <laughs> So the alchemist, Paulo Coelho in The Alchemist, he's a Brazilian, Brazilian author. He says this. He says, he says uh, they were trying to uh, seek out the treasure of their destiny without living out their destiny. Anybody feel like that this morning? You're trying to seek out the treasure of your destiny, the, the rewards of it, without actually living out your destiny in Christ. That's where Israel is. They, they've been trying to get the promised land. They've been trying to seek out uh, their destiny, and now they're actually living it out. They weren't living it out before. That's why they had 40 years in the wilderness. They wanted the rewards. They wanted the treasure, but they weren't actually living it out. You know, when, when Reagan uh, and Emerson, yeah, show that. Let's put that picture up here, Josh. So here's a picture of my girls when they were uh, around two and three. Maybe I think Reagan was a little younger than two, somewhere around there, two and three years old, um, in their little ballet outfits. They did ballet for like two months. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, look at Reagan. She used to be all like this pudgy and ah, squishy, um, and, and now she's all slim and stuff. Um, Emerson just had these like cute little cheeks. Uh, I love the age. If you're a parent in here, or you're about to be a parent. I love the age between one and two, because 
their, their personalities are starting to develop. They're walking, they're, they're kind of talking. You have to like decipher what they're saying. But for the most part, they can understand what you tell them to do. They can understand pretty much everything, uh, which is really cool. And, and you, got to see, you start to get to see how, how they operate and, and all those things. You can take that off, Josh. Um, put the picture of me up there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't have one. <laughs> Actually, we probably do have one in there, but don't do that. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, so, but I love, I love that age, because they're just trying to figure out and learn, they're just learning the world. And so one day I was sitting there with, in Reagan's room, and I remember it just being me and her, so I don't know where, where Missy and Emerson were, but uh, I'm sitting there in Reagan's room, and, and we're kind of playing together, and, and I'm kind of watching her play and, and figure things out. And, she notices the window, and she kind of uh, looks up and notices the window, and, and um, I don't know if she sees something move or what, but she wants to see out, out of the window. Uh, I say Emerson, I mean Reagan. I said Reagan. Okay. Uh, I don't know what I said, but it was Reagan. Um, and, and, uh, and so she kind of, she, she, she was bow-legged when she was that age, so she's kind of like waddling over like this, and like a cowboy, you know? Uh, like who just got off of a horse or something. And she picks up this clear plastic bin and like moves it by the window and tries to step up on the window to see out of the window. And she goes, she puts her foot up and she can't do it. She's holding on the windowsill and she can't pull herself up and her foot slips off. And she puts her foot up and slips off. And, 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 I, and being her father, um, uh, I want to say, hey, sweetie, like move the bin over, hey, you have a sock on your foot, maybe take your sock off and, and step out. Or don't step there, like put your foot more in the middle. Uh, but she's not, she doesn't care what I have to say at this point. Right, she wants to do it her own. She wants to learn it on her own. She wants to do it her own way. She doesn't want me to tell her what to do at all. And so I kind of sit back and, and I'm just watching her and she's doing it over and over again. Same thing, just same foot, same sock, same spot, same slip. Every time, over and over again. And I'm just kind of like in this, fatherhood, parental utopia, like, oh, how sweet and innocent is she? And oh, look at her, she's, she's learning how to do something. And all of a sudden, she lets out this, prim she lets out this primal scream. Like, <laughs> she picks up the bin and throws it across the room. <laughs> and she almost hits me. I, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, what, like, what happened just then? And, and, and then I was shaken out of my own personal utopia, and I realized she's acting that way because I act that way. Guys, that's us. That's the church. We do that all the time. Think about, think about our, your own individual lives. Think about us as a church. Like, we're doing the same thing, putting our foot in the same place, putting our foot on the same bin at the same time with the same slip, and we're expecting a different result. There's that quote that's attributed to Einstein, which apparently no one knows if he actually said it, but that's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And Reagan went, she went off the rails, right? She picked up the thing and threw it, and she almost hurt me in the process. And that's what we're like with God. We're doing the same thing over and over and over again, we expect a different result. We pick up the bin. We yell at God. We throw it at God. We blame God. We say, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing this? Why isn't this happening? I'm doing this. 
And he's like, that's not what I've told you to do. He's like, I was here to help you. And he's sitting back and he's watching you in your struggles. He's, he's letting you figure it out because he's not going to force his love on you. He's not going to force his commands down your throat. He's going to say, you want to do it your way, then, then you do that. And I'll be here when you want to come to me. I'll be here. And we keep on doing our own way and we keep on getting frustrated. And he's like, I'm right here. Just, just, come, just come to me. Let me show you where to put your foot. Let me show you how to look out the window. Because Reagan wanted to see something she hadn't seen before. Right? She wanted to see what was going on out there. She wanted to see something outside of the four walls, the box that she felt her life was in at that moment. She wanted to see something extraordinary. But she kept on doing the ordinary. And guys, the bottom line for today is, is this, and I don't know how we're going to go through this in the sermon, but... Um, in order to experience the extraordinary, you can't expect the ordinary. In order to experience the extraordinary, which is God and who he is and what he wants for your life, you cannot expect the ordinary. And God, and guys, God is just waiting for, there for you to do what he said. This passage begins with, and Missy pointed this out in our BLG on, on um, Tuesday, in verse 2, it says, actually, let me go to verse 1 first, and then we'll go to verse 2. It says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. You have an impossible situation there for what they're called to do and what they're going to do in the land. No one's going in and out of the city. It's completely shut up. It's completely shut down. Nothing is, it's, it's impenetrable, right? And so you have this setup here for the story that, that something extraordinary has to happen. Something amazing has to happen. Something that they cannot do has to happen for, uh, for uh, Israel to, to uh, live out their destiny, for them to see this vision come to fruition. And it says in verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, Guys, I could, just, I could stop right there and talk about those, those four words, and the Lord said, for the rest of the, the day, probably. And the Lord said, and, and, and in the remaining verses there up to verse 7, he gives them specific instructions on what to do. And here's the instructions. It's, it's walk around the city once for six days while blowing your ram's horns. And then on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. Still blow on your ram horn and then shout. And that's it. Those are the instructions. Now, that's pretty foolish looking, right? You got a walled city that is like nobody coming in and out, and, and God says, hey, do this. Do what looks completely and utterly foolish. Go find a ram's horn, <laughs> a trumpet, right? Their, their trumpet. Walk around the city, carry this box, 
carry this Ark of the Covenant, carry this box with you that has some pieces of stone in it, the Ten Commandments, and a piece of wood in it, the, the staff, and I think there's, what is there, a jar of manna in it or something? I can't remember, like, a jar of manna. And, and, like, and, and then uh, carry this around with you, and that's it. Just walk around one time, and then go back to your camp. And the next day, do it over again. Like, you see here, everything that God told Joshua and the people to do, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with their leadership ability, had nothing to do with Joshua's gifts, had nothing to do with military tactics. The world would say, what are you doing? That's foolish. Don't put yourself out there in the open. You get slaughtered. Don't make noise. You guys are supposed to be like hiding. You're supposed to ambush them. Don't, don't like declare that you're here. Don't, like instead of having ram's horns, like you should have a sword in your hand. Like why, like you should have some sort of weapon. What are you gonna do with a ram's horn? Like it's like, it's like giving someone a whistle, right? Like what are you gonna do with that? Um, that's what the world would say. And here you have an entire nation led by Joshua who's heard what the Lord has said and then he delivers that to the people in the next few verses. He says, hey, we're supposed to do this. And no one argues that we see because they do it. Why is that? Because they trust God. They've heard God, they trust him, and now they're going to obey him. Oh, how simple is that? And the Lord said, you heard the Lord, you trust him because you've seen his faithfulness, you've seen his goodness, you've seen his mercy. Like, is that the God you know this morning? That you've seen who God is, that you've seen those things? And so you trust him because you know when you obey, then you're going to see blessing. And I get it. Some of you guys are like, well, I don't know what God's telling me to do. I can tell you exactly what God's telling you to do. Put your identity in Christ. Put your destiny in Christ. I can tell you what goes along with all those. And if you can do that first, then you may be able to influence our city and the world. But you got to do that first. You have to be faithful in the small things. Guys, I talked to so many people this week. It was kind of a weird week. I talked to a lot of people this week who were like, I'm just stuck. I don't know what to do with my life. I think I should do this, and I think I should stop that, and I think I should leave this or quit this. I think I should go in that direction. I think I should take that door. I think I should walk forward here. I think I should step back there. But everyone's all over the place. And I talked to so many people today that said, I just thought this week, that I just thought I'd be somewhere different in my life than where I am today. And you're searching for that influence question. But I want you to look back to the identity question. Is your identity in that job that you thought you should have? Is your identity in that that uh, family you thought you should have? Is your identity in that life that you thought should be yours, in that paycheck, in that, in that possession, and whatever it is, that thing? Or is it in Christ? Let's start there. Again, destiny. Are you trying to get the treasure and the reward of your destiny before you're actually trying to live out your destiny? You know where your destiny in Christ is? Same as mine. It's to be a minister of reconciliation, to be ambassador for Christ 
to share the gospel, to share your faith. It's actually to be in the ministry. Do you realize that? Like so many, so many of us, following Jesus is an addendum. We just tack it on to our career, our job, our education, whatever it is, our family. You have your, your eight to 10 hours a week at work, I mean, a day at work that you spend, and that's in this box over here, and following Jesus is in this tiny box over here. And you're like, why follow Jesus in this environment? And you wouldn't, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you wouldn't crassly put it like that. Like, I'm doing it for you. Like, but you put Jesus over here, and you have your other box over here, and you're like, I don't know how to live out my faith over here. Guys, if your job is hindering you from living out your faith, leave it. I don't know what else to tell you. Leave that job. If a relationship in your life, guys, there's so many of you guys stuck in a relationship that hasn't gone anywhere. If it's not pushing you towards living out your faith and doing something in the kingdom, leave it or change it. Some of you guys are married in that relationship. Change it. You got to change yourself first. But some of you guys, you're with a boyfriend or girlfriend that you've been with for years and nothing's happening. Leave it. Just leave it. I don't, I don't know how else to tell you to live out your faith. Now, you want to follow Jesus? You got to follow Jesus. Most people I know, most people I know who call themselves Christians are just believers. They're not followers. Guys, do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Or do you just want to believe? Even the demons believe, James says, and shudder. You think they're going to spend eternity with us? Hell, no. Right? Right? No. They're going to be in hell. They're going to be in the lake of fire. Guys, the parable of, of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says this. He says, it's like a guy who's in a field and he finds buried treasure. And what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has. He gives up everything he has to buy the entire field to own that treasure. He gives up everything. Are you willing to give up everything for the kingdom of God? Jesus says to those who can't do that, buy. He just lets them walk away. He says, this is where your heart is, and you got to give that up. And when they can't do it, they just leave. He doesn't chase after them. He just lets them go. He says, because this is what it takes. You gotta give up everything. And guys, I get it. You're like, what are you saying? Should I, should I be in ministry? Like, it's easy for you to say, Mike, because you're a pastor and, and your life is sitting around this. Guys, you can, I can take you to many pastors in the scriptures, some, uh, 1 Samuel 3 being one of them, where you had ministers ministering to the Lord but didn't know the Lord. Being in ministry doesn't make it easier to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. It might make it harder <laughs> when you see everybody's problems. Um, it might make it harder. Uh, but, and I get that. You're like, well, you're in ministry. Guys, there was a time when I wasn't. So a lot of you guys don't know. None of you guys knew me up till 31. Uh, Adam may be the guy, Adam and Emily, you guys probably in here who know me the longest, right? 
And you met me, you met us, I was 32. I was 32 when you met me. So none of you guys know me before that. Um, and, and so you're like, oh, it's easy for you to say, you know, ministry, all those things. Guys, before I was 30, I achieved most of my dreams before 30. Like, I had a plan. I was talking to James this morning. <laughs> we were talking about church and some other stuff. And he's like, ah, oh. he's like, you're like, you're really strategic in the way you think. Like, you, James, you don't know half of it. Like, <laughs> I had, like, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'd achieved most of my dreams before 30. And the Lord was in those guys. I, we were pursuing the Lord. And we, and I won't list all those things that we did, but we had everything we wanted and everything we needed uh, before I was 30. We even had our kids. Like, we were, we were, we had, we had a strategy, a plan, and we were going towards, and we said, Jesus, we want to do this for you. And he was blessing, and, and he was doing, but, but the whole time, guys, we were like this to Jesus. Open-handed, God, you do whatever you want to do. And when he said, you give up all of that to go to a country you don't know, to go to a city you've never been to, well, you know nobody, and you plan your life there, and you start all over again? At 32? We said, yeah. Why not? Of course. With a two-year-old and a one-year-old and a house and family and careers. I was teaching theology. Missy's working in business. I was at a church. Like, we had everything, guys. We were successful. Like, the world looked at us. And they said, you're foolish. Our family looked at us and said, you're fools. Why would you do this? Why would you give up all that? You, you were in school until you were 29 to become a professor. Why would, you give up, why would you give that up now that you have that? And I said, well, we weren't ever working for that. We just want to do whatever God wanted us to do. All your family lives around you. Why would you give that up? My family is those who do the will of the Lord. That's what Jesus says, right? Like you have, you, you have successful jobs, you're comfortable, people work their whole lives, they have comfortable salaries and all this. Why would you give that up? This life's not about money. I can't take that with me. We're not trying to store it all up. We're trying to invest in the kingdom. And I went, we went from that to begging people for money to support us to doing this. Now, who does that at 32 years old? We said, God, we want to do whatever you want us to do, go wherever you want us to go. And so many of you guys, you have one of those things holding you back from where God wants to take you. You have one of those things. You're like, God, I, I can't. I spent four years of my life in this university program. I can't change direction now, because I have a business degree. I'm published in advertising. And I said, well, I don't need that anymore. And gave that changed direction totally. I completely changed. Were those four years a waste? Now God redeemed them. Because I haven't used my business degree more. <laughs> I, I use it more in this church plan than I've used anywhere else. Oh, uh, I had no idea. And, and at that point, I had no idea we were even going to start a church. I had no idea. We just, it was just a pivot. 
All right, God, you want us to go this way. Okay, you want us to go that way. Entering seminary, I had no idea I'd, I'd, I would go on the professor track. Uh, and then we went that way. And I did that. I had no idea we would leave, go that way. I had no idea we'd move to Canada. We went that way. I had no idea we would start a church. Went that way. I had no idea we'd start the new common. Went that Like, guys, all these things, we said, yeah, there's strategy, but there's, like, the spirit. God, here's our plans. You direct our steps. We're going to pray and we're going to prep, but, God, you direct our steps. And, guys, huh, I want the best for you. I told so many people that this week. Like, I just want the best for you, and I want God's best for you. And I want you to live out your dreams. There's another, there's another quote from The Alchemist, which, if you have not read that book, that book changed my life in so many ways. Such a good book. Um, it's just, a, it's a fiction book, and it's very philosophical and spiritual, and um, I asked for God's truth in it during this season in my life, and and it just changed the trajectory of my, my life in so many ways. But there's this, there's this account in the book um, where he, uh, the old man, is, is showing this boy around. It's right at the beginning of the book. And it's around this town. And he's like, hey, see the baker over there? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, because um, the boy wants to travel. He wants to be a shepherd. And he wants to travel. And he wants to do his thing. And he's like, hey, see the baker over there? He used to want to travel, too. Um, but you know what? Before he traveled, before he could live out that dream, he thought he needed to get all his money together and buy this baker, this bakery, and be a baker. But when he's an old man, he plans on traveling. And, and the, the boy says, uh, well, he should have been a shepherd because <laughs> then he could travel wherever he wants. And he's like, he's like, well, you know what? The baker didn't realize. He didn't realize that at any point in his life, He's capable of doing what he dreams of at any point. He didn't realize that he could sell that bakery and go and travel. He didn't realize that he wasn't stuck, that he could actually hear the voice of the Lord and follow him. And the, and the, and the boy says, but he could still maybe be a shepherd. And he's like, well, for the baker, what concerns him more is what people think about shepherds and what people think about bakers, not what he wants to do with his life. Oh, man. How much what people think about your life determines what you do with your life? Because you feel like, well, if I did that, then I wouldn't have this position. If I did that, then my parents would. If I did that, then they would think I'm, you know, guys, I, we went from being successful people in the world's eyes to begging people for money to start a church in a country, in a city we didn't know, to do something I had no idea how to do. <laughs> I never started a church before. We'd never, we'd never done anything like this before. And guys, God just blessed, and I want you to see the extraordinary in this. But you can't expect the ordinary anymore. You can't keep on doing the same thing over and over again. And the people here in verses 1 through 7, they do something that looks completely foolish to the world. And let's see what happens. Verse 12. Joshua rose early in the morning. I don't know why, why that's significant, why it's early in the morning, but for me, that's sacrifice. I get up early every morning, that sacrifice for me. I hate getting up early. Like, my, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. 
Like my ideal time would be go to bed between 12 and 1 and wake up around 9. I would love that schedule. Uh, yeah, let me get those snap snaps on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would love that schedule. And you're, some people say, well, you can have that schedule if you want. Um, you, you can make your own schedule. Well, I have kids, so they make my schedule. <laughs> they make my schedule. Um, so Adam, sorry, when Blakely starts going to school, that schedule's gone. <laughs> Game over. Um, but yeah, so I see this and I'm like, hey, maybe there's some, just some sacrifice in there. Joshua was up early in the morning. The priests took up the ark of the Lord, seven priests bearing seven trumpets before the ark. They walked continually. They blew the trumpets continually. The armed men walking before them, the rear guard walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once, and they returned to camp. And they did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around seven times. And at the seventh time, when, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. In verse 20, so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man stood before him, and they captured the city. And verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Guys, do you really want to follow Jesus today? And he gave up everything for you, everything. And he calls us to do the same. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He was God. He didn't need anything else. He didn't need you. He didn't need me. He didn't need anything else to make him God right? This is all of his own choice. He steps out of heaven, comes down in the form of a servant, obedient to the point of death on a cross, and he gets killed in order that he would make a way for us. And in so doing, he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. He hears the Lord, he hears God, he trusts and he obeys. And guys, it's not easy for Jesus, is it? Those of you guys who know this, the, the account of Jesus right before his, his death, he is praying, God, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, please make that the way because I, I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this. If there's any other way, please make that the way. And he's, uh, he's sweating blood. He's in such agony. It's not easy. Right? He, he gets captured. His own, his own friend betrays him. Uh, he, he gets beaten. He gets whipped. He gets flogged. He gets mocked. He gets spat on. He gets slapped. He gets punched. All these things. He, he gets this, the flesh on his back torn off by a whip. Like, he gets his nails, uh, his hands nailed in, his feet nailed in, his, his side is stabbed with a spear. Nothing is easy about this, guys. Stop thinking that following Jesus is going to be the easy life. You're called to carry your cross daily. You're called to suffer for Jesus daily. We are to make up for the afflictions that are lacking. That's what Paul says. Oh, I don't even understand the theology of that verse. I'm like, oh, wait, what does that mean? Uh, but we are to do that. It shouldn't be easy. So if your life is centered around finding the comfortable life, finding the right job, finding the right salary, finding the right relationship, I don't, I don't know if you're following Jesus. 
If your job doesn't help you push you for, help push the kingdom forward, maybe you shouldn't have it. If it's just pushing the world forward, and guys, I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying do what I do. I'm saying like, you need a new perspective on your job, possibly. Like if you're a nurse and you're just there for, um, you're just there to get a paycheck, or you're even just there to help people, like that's not, that's not quite. You're not quite there in your kingdom perspective on why God has called you to be a nurse. Does that make sense? If you, if you, what, so whatever you're doing, like you gotta have this kingdom perspective on that it's for the kingdom. Missy, Missy's been at this job for, uh, her job for what, 16, 15 years, something like that, um, and. Uh, and what made it so kingdom for us is that she knew that it was pushing forward our calling. I mean, she supported us in all of, her, all of our marriage, basically. Um, been, the, been the major breadwinner. Um, I, brought, I bring home the crumbs. Uh, she brings home the bacon. Uh, and, um, like, not real bacon for you vegetarians and vegans, like, as a metaphor. But we do like real bacon, too. So uh, she, and, and guys, her job, her, her job wasn't very kingdom-driven and kingdom-focused. She was, the, I won't explain what she does and all, all those things, um, but her perspective on it was, and it was hard, and she wanted to leave and quit because, uh, because it was hard, and she would come home, like, yeah, I won't go into all that, but... Um, but we knew God had called her there. We knew God had put her there. And she's still with uh, the guy who owns the, who owned that company. Um, and now it's, her job is a little more kingdom-focused because it really aligns with what we do here um, in a really cool way. But uh, so sometimes it just means perseverance where you're at, right? Because it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it means you just need to persevere. If you know God's called you there, you got to persevere, you got to push forward, and you got you to hear the Lord and be willing and obedient, and then you will taste the goodness of the land. And guys, in this passage, we have here at the end that Joshua does what the Lord says, and his fame was in all the land. And that reminds me of a few different times when someone, when, when it says the Lord was with Josh, was with blank, and something happened. This happens to Joseph. It says the Lord was with Joseph in Genesis, uh, I think, chapter 39. And, um, and he becomes the second in command in the whole nation of Egypt, which is the world power at that time, right? Uh, he went from slave to uh, the second in command. Uh, this, this happens with Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where it says <coughs> the Lord is with Samuel, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. None of them. He let none of his words fall to the ground. He's a prophet and mouthpiece for the Lord. This also happens with David in, in 1 Samuel as well, I think chapter 18, where, where it says the Lord is with David, and he's, he's there with David, and, and David becomes this, um, this king that leads the nation of Israel to have uh, as much land as, as they've seen in, in, in their time, and he becomes a man after God's own heart. Um, and then you have Joshua here, who is whose fame spreads out all the land because the Lord is with them. Not because of anything Joshua did, because in this passage, Joshua doesn't do very much, does he? He just hears God, he trusts him, and he obeys him. Now, people are doing pretty mundane things. They're just taking their two legs and they're walking around the city. How are we supposed to circle our city, guys? 
identity and destiny in Christ? How are we supposed to firm up that identity? How are we supposed to live out that destiny? We have to start with the mundane things. We have to start with the small things. We have to hear what God's already said in here, in this book, and just do those things. You're looking for something specific for your life, and you're not even doing the general things that God has given you for your life. Are you following me there? Like, sometimes it just, it just takes the mundane things for us to follow Jesus. And those are the things that we have to do if we want to see the extraordinary. But you keep on expecting the ordinary. When you open this book up, you should expect the extraordinary. But you keep on expecting the ordinary. This isn't an ordinary book, guys. We were talking to... Um, someone about Psalm 19 this week. And actually, do we, do we have that? Let's pull that up real quick. And I'll end with this, guys. This is, this is Psalm 19, such a beautiful psalm. Um, <clears throat> we have verse, yeah, I'll start there. Uh, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Guys, even the heavens are declaring his glory. We're made for that. Are you doing that? Day-to-day pours forth speech, or pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. So he's showing us generally, like, even nature is, is doing what we're supposed to do. It's glorying in God. Right? It does what it's supposed to do. The sun comes out when it's supposed to come out. Um, the heavens are declaring what it's supposed to declare. Night happens. Like all these things happen like they're supposed to. But we don't necessarily happen that way. We don't necessarily do, do what we're supposed to do. Now, what we're supposed to do is hear God and do what He says. Right? And how do we hear God? Well, He's about to tell us. How do we do what we're supposed to do? Verse 7, we learn from this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe that this morning, that the law of the Lord, God's instruction, revives your soul? So many of you guys want your soul to be revived, but you, you don't go here at all. It says here, the law of the Lord is perfect. That's going to revive your soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You want wisdom? You have to go to this book. You have to go here. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So many of us want to operate in joy in our lives. We want to see joy, and we don't go here. You put something else in the place of the scriptures in your life. If you want, if you want to rejoice, go to the scriptures. If you want to revive your soul, go to the scriptures. If you want to be wise, go to the scriptures. If you want your eyes enlightened, it says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, go to the scriptures. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You want to operate in righteousness? Go to the scriptures. More are they, and this is my prayer for us, guys, more are they to be desired, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant mourned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Guys, we can't even discern our own errors. 
We had to say to him, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, after all this, I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my God, are my rock and my redeemer. Guys, Israel was called to do something really mundane, really ordinary, but they expected the extraordinary. Every time you open this book, you meet with God. It's a guaranteed place of encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so when you come to this book, you should expect the extraordinary to happen. And when you live out your faith in the mundane, normal ways, then you can see extraordinary things happen. But you have to approach it open-handed like this and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, I want to follow you and I'll give you my all. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you that it is true, it is righteous altogether, that it produces wisdom, it enlightens our eyes. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that we would desire it more than gold, more than money, that it would be sweeter than, than, than honey from the honeycomb to us. And Lord Jesus, you are the word made flesh. And so make us a church who desires you above all things. We ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.